Um, before I get started, the Bible <clears throat> excuse me, says to give honor where honor is due. And I just want to give a shout out to the youth pastors, um, Kobe and Sid. I think they're actually, or Kobe and Sid. Kobe and his wife, Ellie, Sid, um, are, I think they're at a youth conference right now, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I have worked with college students for the last 25 years, so I have a passion for the youth, even though I don't work with the youth. I understand that that is our future, that's the future of the church. Um, and so I have a high respect for people that do youth ministry, uh, especially middle school and high school, because I cannot. I interned here just to fill in a gap for like six months. My son wouldn't even come to the youth group. Uh, and if you are in there and you actually came, you're probably agreeing with me saying, yep, Scott, that was not your gig. So um, if you see them, you know who they are, man, give them a hug, a high five. They, they do great work. I was in the Cipri the other day and I watched, I saw Ellie come in with three girls and man, open up scriptures and doing some discipleship time. And I was like, ah, oh, yes. You know, somebody that's giving of their time for the youth. So uh, before I get started, I just want to open us in prayer. Jesus, I just want to come to you this morning. We, we, we invite you into our time and into our space, Lord. And, and I pray that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts and our eyes this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning might be a little different in that I am, I am biased. Like I said, I work with college students for the last 25 years. Currently, I work with uh, FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes on the campus at Western. And so that's what my, my world re- revolves around that. So some of what I'm going to say this morning is kind of geared toward that. So if you're maybe older, maybe kids are out of the house, all that kind of stuff, I hope that this morning will be uh, informative as to what the younger generation is not only dealing with, but honestly, the questions that they're asking and the things that are going through their mind. And if you have kids, you know, that are maybe younger, uh, they will be dealing with these questions. They will have these questions. They might not even ask these questions to you personally, but I guarantee you that they're thinking them in the mind because some of them I still have, okay? Um, so it might be a, a little bit different this morning, and I, I think it came out okay this morning. I wasn't sure even how it was going to come out, um, but a few people said, hey, that was really good. So we'll see how you guys think at the end. Okay, so to get started, don't raise your hands, but I just want to ask some questions just to get you thinking, okay, just to get you thinking, okay, no raise of hands, but how many of you read your Bible every day? How many of you read your Bible like five times during the week, four times during the week, three times during the week, maybe for some of us? It might just be simply the time that you come to church on Sunday is really the only time you consume something within the scriptures. How many of you have read the Bible from beginning to end? And I know that if you're younger, that might be a big ask. But if you're older, there might be a season where you're like, hey, I need to, I need to read this thing through. So how many of you have done that? Or how much have you read of the scriptures most of us, or some of us, maybe it's a smaller percentage than I think, but a lot of us, I think, base our life off a book we've never really read for ourselves. Base our life off a book we never really read. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, but one author recently said that it is the best-selling book that is never read. 
And I don't ask these questions to like shame you. I mean, I don't read, this is my job. I, I probably average, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm right on this, like five times out of the seven days of the week, five days out of the week, I, I read my Bible. Sometimes my quiet time consists of um, going on a walk instead of reading my Bible and praying. But I have two young boys, life happens, right? And next thing you know, it's like, I, gotta, you know, I missed reading the word, okay? So, man, it's not, I'm not asking those questions to shame you, but more just to get you thinking. I do this several times a year where I analyze, what am I reading? Am I even reading to, to really dig in, or am I just reading for the sake of reading and not really just, and just wanting to get through it? I'm not, a, I'm not a reader, okay? But, man, I need to be in the Scriptures. And my guess is that most of us read some kind of devotional, whether you, uh, you know, uh, get an email every day or a couple times a week that has a devotional, or you actually have a book devotional where it has a verse, has a little commentary that you read. Maybe you subscribe to a YouTube channel or a couple or a podcast or an Instagram, and that's great. I mean, I love listening to podcasts. I have a couple people I follow on YouTube accounts that are really informative that I love, love following. But my guess is that's, that's probably a lot of us, some of us, most of us might be in that category, <clears throat> but not many of us actually read the Bible for our own. And at some, some length, this is where I'm going to sympathize with you, at some length, it's understandable that we don't read. Here's why. There's a few reasons why. Um, it's a complex, thick, dense book. It is a collection of 66 books written over 2,000 years ago. It's written in three different languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It has different genres. There's narrative, there's biographies, there's poetry. And Jesus in the New Testament in the four Gospels speaks in parables. We don't speak in parables. And how do you know what to take literally or figuratively? Okay, for example, the Song of Solomon. First sermon, I got a couple chuckles because they knew where I was going with this. Song of Solomon in the Old Testament is Solomon writing about his wedding night. To just give you some perspective, Jewish boys were not allowed to read that until they were 15 years old. Okay, it's very graphic. And it's very beautiful. Do you take that figuratively because there's a lot of churches and church traditions 30 or 40 years ago that the main, the majority of church tradition would take that figuratively and say, well, that's just God describing his love for the church. That is, if you have read Song of Solomon, that is a very weird way to interpret that book. That's kind of awkward, okay? It's literal. Its secondary contribution might be that, but even at that level, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. I think you're stretching it there. But nevertheless, do you take it literally or figuratively? When you open your Bible, you step into a strange and alien world. Man, when 9-11 happened and the Twin Towers were attacked, man, I couldn't tell you where Afghanistan was. But all of a sudden, it's on the news, and there are reporters there, and I was, I was, my mind is blown to see, like, this foreign world. I didn't know People still live like that. You're, you're stepping back way back into a different time zone. And so when we read the scriptures, it's similar to what we're doing. We're trying to understand a culture and this time gap of 2,000 plus years 
and a culture gap of 2,000 plus years. We're trying to understand that in a language that's foreign to us. So it can be difficult to understand the Bible. And in the 66 books, the number one question I get, mainly from college students, and I just got this three days ago in a coffee shop, where do I start? Where do I start? Do I, do I start at the beginning? And when I say, I always say, well, I start in Genesis and, and, and start in the Gospels. Maybe read both. But you know what goes through my head when somebody says, hey, I've, I've started reading the Bible and I've started in Genesis. My immediate thought goes to, ooh, just don't, don't quit at Leviticus. Right? Don't quit at Leviticus. Just, just keep going. Other questions that can cause confusion and hindrances to reading the Bible are these. What about the fact that it seems that there are contradictions in the Bible and even errors? Why are so many different interpretations of the Bible? Why are there so many different denominations? You know, more and more of the young people that I deal with, the more and more educated young people I deal with, within the college realm and, and even in the 20s and 30s are starting to see the Bible as not, not necessarily Christians, but they're starting to see the Bible as harmful, archaic, racist, filled with hate speech. And what about the intellectual doubts and criticism that people have I took a poll a couple months ago, and here's some of the... This, these are questions from Christians, okay? If God is good, then why does he allow evil, and is he really in control? That is a tough question. That's a great question. That's a tough question. Another individual said, I feel like I can't grasp the relationship between God's plan and my free will. God's plan, God's sovereignty, and my free will. You know, I did a, a funeral, unfortunately, I did a funeral for a young man this summer who took his own life. And after the funeral, at the kind of the, the uh, reception time, I had a couple of people come up to me and said, hey, thanks for doing it. And the response was a phrase similar to something like, you know, God knew it was his time. God took him. It was his time to go. And I, as, as much as I marvel at somebody's faith with that response, that response doesn't work with the parents. And to take it a step further, is that response biblical? And to take it a step further, because I've gotten this question, it seems like that God is allowing or permitting or even participating in the pulling of the trigger when you use that kind of language. Whoa, those are deep questions. Those are deep questions. Here's another one. How is God just in the mass killing in the Old Testament in his rigidness and then Jesus so compassionate in the New Testament? How can God be God but so different in his judgment between the Old and New Testament? Great question. Great question. Let me give you an example because I was approached by this from a younger person um, about the story of Jericho. 
Again, this goes back to kind of the, the, the younger generation. I didn't think this. I got saved at 21 years old. I didn't know anything um, about the Bible. But what I did know is that Jericho, if you know that story, was a story where the Israelites were commanded by God to march around this city seven times, and then they would blow the trumpets and the walls would fall. It's a, victory of, it's a story of faith, of victory, prayer. Yeah. And then one person says, well, what I see is genocide. What I see is God commanding these people to commit ethnic cleansing. I sat there and was like, whoa, whoa. I'm rereading that story. What's going on here, God? I'm digging a little bit deeper. What's happening here, Lord? A couple more. How can we test the Bible if it's been rewritten so many times? Why are there different religions? Why do you answer the question, or how, excuse me, how do you answer the question, why does God let this happen to me? And I've had, over the last two weeks, I've had two athletes. One person separated his shoulder, one woman blew out her knee, both of them send a similar text to me, pray for me, why would God allow this to happen to me? Why did he do this to me? So they're coming to me with some deep theological questions and wanting answers. And how you answer those questions as a believer can really determine who you view God is in the scriptures. But are you viewing that through the scriptures or just by your own thought from what you've heard or little Christian cliches? Lastly, and in all honesty, some of the Bible is really boring. Leviticus, can we get, you know, who's who's chosen to read Leviticus in the last year, right? No one. No one's going to be like, I'm going to read Leviticus. But just to give a testimony to the power of God's word, we, my wife and I have a friend back when we were in college, and she wrote a book on this. She was in college. She grew up in the Christian home. She went to church every day. She was homeschooled. She's in college, probably I think her sophomore, junior year. She's reading through Leviticus in her plan, and she's having this moment of like, why? Why these laws? Why? It's just strange, boring. What is the purpose of all this? She comes across one verse where the command is to the priest where it says, keep the fire lit on the altar. And from that verse, changed her life. She wrote a book about that verse, about how our lives are to be offering on the altar, which is what Paul talks about in the New Testament. And she wrote a book about it, changed her life, and kind of based her ministry off of that. So God's word is, is powerful, even in what we look at, like, ugh, Leviticus. And I've just started reading First Chronicles, and the first nine chapters are genealogy. Not very, not very exciting. I mean, if I walk in, you know, after my, hey, if my wife says, how, how's, how's your reading going this week? I read names for four days in a row. It's just, there's some of it that can be boring. And then there's some that's just strange. You know, the Genesis story of a talking snake and a forbidden fruit in a garden with a tree in the middle sounds like a fairy tale. Or what about Jonah being swallowed by a fish? Is that literal or figurative? Sitting in the belly of a fish for three days. This is why this is important right here. 
had one college student who had been coming to our ministry for like two years. He came every week. He was really quiet, didn't say much, uh, but came every week, went to our retreats. And I didn't see him for like six months, maybe a year. Ran into him on campus, and uh, we're just catching up. Like five, to, man, how's it going? What's going on? How's all this stuff. And then he gets that awkward point of like, man, I know I haven't seen him. He knows I haven't seen him in six months. He just kind of disappeared. So I said, hey, man, just how things going? I haven't seen you in a while. It's, are you doing okay? And he's, this is the story he refers to. He says, man, I don't know about, you know, whole Bible, the Jonah and the fish thing. I mean, that just, just couldn't believe it. Just kind of walked away because of that story. It's, for him, it was too strange. And he listed off a couple other things that were just strange parts of Scripture. Didn't know what to do with. You look at Noah's Ark or the physical resurrection of Jesus. And even though I got saved at 21, it took me three to four months to really, really reconcile the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I, was, I would literally be like, okay, because I was an atheist before that, and my mind tends to think really logically, I would tend to think like, okay, I believed he died on the cross. Uh, you paid penalty for my sins. But do I have to believe that you rose from the dead? I was somehow trying to get out of that or around that. So these are just, you know, honest questions with myself. I have a lot of these questions. These are questions that college students have, young people have, they're being faced with, right? Ezekiel 10, go read that on your own. I looked up some art. I'm like, I read the chapter, and then I'm like looking up online what people like drew about. Strange, bizarre, four circles, eyes all around it with an eye in the middle. Strange things the prophets saw. Revelation, you have read anything in Revelation? Strange language, strange things that those guys see. So besides all these hindrances and limitations we read, we, we still need to be reading the scriptures. So I have an exhortation for us, an exhortation. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 17. It'll be up here. At least part of it will be on the screen. I'm going to read a couple verses and then jump ahead to verse 10 and 11. Okay, to give you some context, Paul is planting churches. Acts is a, is, a, is a book about the early church, the first 27 years of um, Paul's, uh, the early church and, and church planting. Paul's planting churches. He comes to this place in Thessalonica. They didn't really receive him too well, okay, but listen to what he does. Then Paul came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2, then Paul, as, listen to this, as his custom, went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths, or three weeks in a row, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. So notice that Paul comes into, as his custom, he would go into a town or village, he would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he would just begin to open the, what we know as the Old Testament, open the scriptures, and try to show these people, hey, that Jesus guy that you've heard about that got crucified, that's our Messiah, that's the Messiah. And he would demonstrate, he would explain to them through the scriptures that that Jesus was the Christ. Skip down to verse 10. This will be on the screen. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Remember, that was his custom. 
into the Jews. Verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and listen to this, listen to what they did. You didn't see this in the first couple verses, but the Bereans were a little bit different in that they searched the scriptures daily to find out if these things were so. So here, Paul goes into a little different context, explain, doing the same thing he always does, explaining, demonstrating. And that word, um, searched by these people, it's a verb, and it means to examine, to judge, to ask questions, to discern, to scrutinize, to sift, even to interrogate. So here, Paul comes into this Berean church, the synagogue, to these Bereans, does the same thing he always does, demonstrating to them through the scriptures. And what do they, they take responsibility. They go away. And whether they came back every day, every other day, or they came back a week later, saying, hey, we took what you said, Paul, and we're searching these scriptures, we're interrogating, we're sifting the things you say, we're going after the things you say, we're trying to understand, we're trying to judge. They probably asked questions to Paul but they took responsibility to read and search it out for themselves to find out whether these things were so. So to kind of sum up what I'm saying, we are living in a time where there are a lot of questions that are being asked, a lot of thoughts going through your mind. I've been doing this for 25 years. I still have a lot of these questions. Still ponder these things, and it causes me to search the scriptures. So, the application for today, I just have in kind of closing down, I have three things as to why it's important that we read the scriptures on our own and really to press through even when we don't understand, even just to keep reading. So, the reason to search the scriptures daily is this number one, for one's self, for your own, for yourself. And here's a practical example. When I became a Christian, again, I didn't know anything. I was an atheist. I knew nothing. But if you were to come up to me at age 21 and say, hey, okay, I understand you're an atheist, but if you had to have a picture or could describe God, what would it be? I'd immediately answered judgmental. I would have said he's judgmental. He's up there, way up there, waiting to strike somebody or people with a lightning bolt. That was my preconceived idea of God without any knowledge, without any church background whatsoever. So when I became a Christian, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure this out. And when I made a commitment to read through the Old New Testament without any outside influence, no one told me, I didn't, have any, I didn't have, ask any questions during this season of my life, I simply read the Old Testament, and guess what the conclusion I came to? I actually saw the absolute opposite of judgment. As I kept reading, I kept thinking like, this God seems to be really, really gracious. This God seems to be really, really patient. So I come from this idea that, man, God's judgmental, da, da, da. It's through the scriptures, and which typical, even some of the questions I ask, people think that God's a God of judgment in the Old Testament. Man, through the scriptures, any outside influence, I'm like, oh, it's actually the opposite. That's a practical reason just for ourselves to find out who is this God that we believe in? Who is this God that we believe in? So 
That's one reason for yourself, one example, that, man, the Scriptures can flip your thinking. They can give you right thinking, right vision of who God is. And you also have to know why you believe what you believe. So one of the reasons I love working with college students is because a lot of the ones I deal with come from a Christian background, and when they come to college, they're confronted with, man, do I really believe this? Because they've been kind of riding on the coattails of their parents uh, while they were in, through high school. And so they have to make a decision whether they want to follow Christ or not. I remember one girl was having this crisis moment. Man, she was crying because she, que- she had a lot of these questions. She was questioning all these things. She's crying for like 10 minutes. It's like, I feel like I'm losing my faith. I have these questions, da, 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 da. And at the end, I just said, hey, you're actually at a really good spot. And she's wiping tears going, what? What? I'm like, you're really good. these are really good questions. You need to figure this out. You got to figure out why you believe what you believe. So, 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 you know, walked with her through some of the questions as best I could. Okay, so there's a reason why, man, you need to read it for yourself. Number two, for the sake of others. It's not just about you. But, man, we read the scriptures for the sake of others. This will be on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, notice this second part. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's important. Sometimes we might give the answer, but we don't do it in gentleness and respect. But it's important that we have an answer. We need to have an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have in Christ. One of the first things I do uh, with freshmen as they come in as I go through this kind of discipleship packet, okay? Every college ministry has some kind of discipleship packet. And one of the things we go through is like, hey, if somebody asks you on your team why you wear a cross, why you act differently, be ready. What, what would you say? So I say, you know, as a freshman, like, hey, if somebody asks you on your team, what, what would you say? Do you have a scripture you'd turn to? You know, sometimes they're like, oh, I'd go here. I'd, John three sixteen. that's a classic. But sometimes, a lot of times, they're like, I wouldn't know where to turn. So we go through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It's kind of the gospel in a nutshell. For this very purpose that, hey, when somebody asks, man, you're ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Okay? Now, you might be thinking this is a, a daunting task, thinking back to like a lot of the questions and stuff I brought up earlier. <laughs> like, holy smokes, those are some deep questions. How am I supposed to figure that out just by reading the scriptures? There's two reminders, just kind of a disclaimer and two reminders. Number one, God is the one who changes hearts, right? Like it's not going to be through your, we're going to read a verse at the end uh, where Paul's like, man, it's not with eloquent speech, uh, but it's by the power of God, okay? It's not you and your words that are going to change somebody. It's God who's going to change somebody's heart. So just keep that in mind. And then that verse I was just talking about, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 and 4. This will not be on the screen. Um, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. So at the end of the day, you just keep it about that, right? 
Like when I got saved at 21, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything. But I did know how God changed my life. I did have that. I, when we'd go share the gospel and some people would ask certain questions, that, you know, because they were in Bible class, you know, that, well, my religion professor said this. There's all these contradictions. I'd be like, I don't know. But, man, on this certain day, when I gave my life to Jesus, something dramatic happened to me. And that can be for you, too. God can change your life, you know. And so to think that, man, God is the one who changes hearts. It's not your eloquent speech like Paul said, man. It's the power of God and focusing on just Jesus. Just Jesus. And I think we're in a season, I think we can all agree with this, that, man, there's certain seasons throughout history where we need to rethink and relook at everything. I think of the hippie movement, the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s, where the church um, went through some changes. Went through some changes. The church was a certain way, and then all of a sudden, hippies are coming into the church with shoes off, shirts off, dressed like a hippie would be, messed up a lot of people's thoughts of what church should be. Okay? That's a season where people like Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel and uh, the founder of Vineyard, opened up the Bible and said, man, we need to rethink this. Why are we doing church the way we're doing? Is there anywhere that would say that, hey, this person can't come into our sanctuary because they don't have shoes on? So there was a season there where they're just like, whoa, we got to, let's look at the Bible again. Let's read this again. How would Jesus act towards these people, right? And I think over the last two to five years, we're kind of in that season, whether it's the pandemic, it's the political season we're in, uh, the state of our state right now, you know, it's just like, we need to, to rethink things. We need to look through, not stray from the scriptures, not come up with something different, but man, we need to read through this and, hey, how can we address some of these questions or this younger generation that's coming up? I think we're in that, that season. And lastly, lastly, third, learn how to live in this cultural moment. In a couple months, I'm going to go to a conference um, put on by Dr. Preston Sprinkles, a New Testament scholar. And his um, title of his conference is Exiles in Babylon. So if you know anything about the Old Testament, you might know the story where the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians. They were immersed into their culture. Okay? There's a guy, Daniel, if you've ever read Daniel. Daniel is the epitome of a biblical example of how someone should live within a different culture, okay? A believer in a different culture because Daniel was a Jew, had certain Jewish practices, praying, reading of scripture, no other idols but God, gets absorbed into the Babylonian culture, continues his prayer life, works for the Babylonians, but continues his prayer life, continues his spiritual disciplines, so to speak, And you know the famous story, when he gets asked to bow down to the king, he doesn't do it because he's kept his spiritual disciplines. And Daniel's a perfect example of kind of where we're at in our society today, okay? Where we're at in our society today. And that's kind of what the whole conference is geared towards, going over these topics, looking at Scripture again about how we live in our world today with certain things. So let me just give you a couple of topics that I'm going to go listen to, okay? The first session 
is this. Well, let me, before I get that, let me, let me put it this way. I love what, what Preston Sprinkle says. The purpose of the conference is this, to think more deeply, about it. you just think about everything we just said, to think more deeply and love more widely. Not just to think deeply and not to have an overflow, but to think deeply and love widely. No one likes a narrow-minded legalist. Even Christians don't like narrow-minded legalists in the church. We need to look at the scriptures, think deeply so we can love widely. Here's the first session. A synopsis on the theology and politics of Israel and Palestine. There's going to be four different speakers, some on, two on each side that are going to discuss, as Christians, how do we respond to our Jewish brothers, our Palestinian brothers, our uh, Middle Eastern brothers and sisters, or non-sisters and brothers? How do we respond as a culture to what's going on over there? Deconstruction, reconstruction, and the gospel. Similar to what I was saying earlier about the church, like we need to, about like Chuck Smith and the Vineyard Movement, where you need to re-examine, like, why are we doing church the way we're doing it? Okay, every generation's got to look and say, okay, here's the gospel. Let's go over this again. Are we doing this right? Are we communicating it correctly? Okay? Women, power, and abuse in the church. LBGTQ and trans people and the church. Christian and politics, three different approaches to politics. In the past years I've gone, there's been talks on race, racism and the church, two Christian views on the nature of hell, multi-ethnic perspectives of the American Christianity, conversational debate on the problem of evil, women in leadership. Whoa. Needless to say, I come back with like, 16, 17 different books every time, and I'm just reading this stuff. And part of it, man, it's my job. I'm 50 years old, and I'm working with college students, and these are the things that they're dealing with. These are the questions that they have. And if you have kids, you will have to educate yourself. You have to know some answers. Give something to them. I want to close with this. So my, my, my hope, the kind of the application, my hope is that today there might just simply for some of you, man, just this sense of like, whoa, I, actually, I need to read the Bible. I just need to get back into the Word. I need to start reading the Word. I need to, you know, if I can just get you thinking about like some really deep questions that cause you to get in the Word, great, I've done my job today. I want to close with this, this verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 6 and 8. Okay? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up. Just think of a tree, right? Rooted and then built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. There are, I mean, the world right now is loud. There is a lot of that going on, okay? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on 
Christ. Let that, just, let that verse kind of just sink in. Meditate on that. Chew on that verse.